All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And this week, we have a really interesting and unique topic. We're actually going to talk about social media and sexual health, sex ed, and kind of some of the sketchy things Instagram's been doing as of lately. So we have Danielle with us. Danielle, would you like to introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you do on social media? Sure, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Danielle Bezalel. You can call me DB, DBez, Dan, Danielle, whatever you like. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And what I do, I'm the creator, co-producer, host, uh, sound engineer, wearer of many hats of the (laughs) Sex Ed with DB podcast. And uh, full-time, I work with a really awesome company called Loom. And they do education for pregnant people and people postpartum. And I am their content and education lead. And in terms of my education, I recently graduated in May of 2020 with my master's of public health from Columbia University with a focus in sexuality, sexual and reproductive health. Holy shit. That's (laughs) badass. Oh my God. Congratulations. Thank you. What a shitty time to graduate, but (laughs) Um, I want all of my money back, but that's fine. Um, But I'm yeah, happy to be on the other side. That's awesome. And I'm so excited to kind of have you here, especially with kind of the work you do with your podcast. And I know that you're very active on obviously a lot of social media platforms. Um, So for those people who like haven't been in the sex positive loop and maybe aren't on our side of the algorithm, Mm -hmm. um, what has happened as of, I think it was December 2020. That's right. Um, What's been going on and how has that been kind of impacting the work that you and I both do? Yeah, absolutely. So as uh, folks who are listening probably already know, it has been increasingly more difficult to be able to get sexual health education and information to the masses based on social media wanting to block uh, the kinds of content that we are sharing. So um, as Felicia, you said in December of 2020, there were some new terms that were added to Instagram. And some of those new terms included um, viewing and analyzing things through your front camera, copying your address book, uh, call log and SMS history, and collecting information from everything that you search on the site, um, which obviously those things are extremely problematic in in many, many ways. And something else that I wanna call out is the hashtag sex positive is not searchable anymore. So whatever it is that Instagram uh, and Facebook, whoever is doing this uh, are trying, whatever it is that they're trying to target, they're really making it more challenging for sex educators to share information and education. And so what I want to point out here is that sex workers have been subjected to this a lot, um, especially after SESTA-FOSTA. Are you familiar with SESTA-FOSTA, Felicia? I'm actually not. Okay. So SESTA-FOSTA was a 2018 law that was intended to curb sex trafficking that conflated sex trafficking with sex work. So it made it a lot more challenging for sex workers to conduct business online. And many of them had to, you know, further go underground. They weren't able to uh, market themselves in the way that was safest to them. They weren't able to really conduct business in a way that uh, was best and safest for them to thrive. And so essentially what I want to share is that this latest crackdown through Instagram 
is really hitting sex workers the hardest and also negatively influencing sex educators. No, absolutely. And I, I see this a lot. I'm a very big uh, TikTok user and I see a lot of OBGYNs getting censored all the time Mm -hmm. for things with like the vulva and the vagina. So our other social media, and I know that there's like a weird intermingling, like Facebook owns Instagram, uh, TikTok is its own thing, but are other social media pages following this kind of behavior? Yeah, I would completely agree about TikTok. It has been extremely challenging. I'm sure we can, you know, do an entire segment about the censorship on TikTok and the things that people have to do in order to get their content kind of greenlit, essentially, without being blocked by the algorithm or by whoever is blocking it. Um, but that's a good question. I think like predominantly. Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook are the social media platforms that have the the most, um, that are cracking down the most on these new terms of service. I do think Twitter is a little bit more lenient. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm scrolling through my homepage of Twitter, there's like porn in it. And I'm like, yeah, what the I was going to say that. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Like, clearly they're a little bit more open with their content. Um And so, yeah, I'm just not sure what it is about potentially like younger, a younger audience having access to Instagram and, you know, TikTok and Facebook. I mean, I know that Facebook is like for our parents now and for our grandparents, we have like passed that on. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting how different social media platforms are kind of adhering to these new guidelines in, in various ways. No, absolutely. And now that I'm kind of thinking about it, I know Mark Zuckerberg owns Facebook and he's pretty like, I, I, we're right. Canadian here. So he's pretty like conservative, right wing, whatever you want to kind of call it. So I feel like those ideologies and even what you were saying about the law that passed that really negatively affected sex workers. I feel like there's this like I don't know. It's it's essentially essentially a censorship that like protects men and like conservatives and it's never really protecting like the people that either need access to the sex education or the sex workers themselves or there's some patriarchal inter fucking that's going on that I'm like not really sure. <laughs> patriarchal interfucking indeed. Um but yeah, I think I have like a really awesome quote actually from um, my co-producer who was speaking to exactly what you were talking about. Um, but basically I'd like to, to read it to you if you're down. I would love to. Okay, cool. Let me find it really quickly. Okay. So I have it. So um, this is my co-producer. Her name is Kathy Cohen and she's a lawyer full-time, very badass. Um, and it's, I'm very lucky to have her. But her quote is specifically, we are partnering with a, a sex toy company um, called Bird and they were doing a whole campaign about social media and censorship. And Kathy's quote is, uh, you know, Kathy's quote that was representing our podcast is, The double standards in advertising policies are not just discriminatory, but actively harmful. By allowing sexualization to sell products or promote male sexual health, but censoring sexual content related to female pleasure, these policies are sending the message that male sexual needs are a matter of health, while female pleasure 
is treated as something inappropriate. The reinforcement of these patriarchal ideas devalues female health and sends the message that only men deserve sexual fulfillment and pleasure. And I just really think that quote speaks to everything that you were saying. And also, you know, if we want to include like queer health and non-binary health and trans health, like those are equally as censored as, as cis women and female pleasure. And so I want to make sure we're, we're kind of discussing the whole, um, you know, the whole story here. No, absolutely. And I think that that really goes to show, it really explains kind of how these like bigger concepts of like prioritizing male Mm -hmm. pleasure counter to like female pleasure. And I talk a lot about like men's access to Viagra versus like a woman's access to like something like plan B. Like, why is it so much more Mm -hmm. challenging for women to get these resources? And this censorship um, is really like a microcosm to like the bigger issue. And especially for when we're talking about potentially later, like POC creators and then also queer creators and then anyone that doesn't even fit the binary of like cis white woman, there's another like slew of censorship that comes their way. So yeah, I I really appreciate that quote and she sounds really cool. So that's awesome. Um, But with the hashtag sex education, having over 1 million posts, um, how do you, was this hashtag used instead of sex positive now? Um, Or like, was it trying to like make up for something? Cause Mm -hmm. now it has over 1 million posts. And I know that there's not, There's a large sex positive community, but like compared to like the beauty blogger community, it's like so micro. Um, So how do you feel like this this hashtag will affect the new censorship rules? So are you saying that hashtag sex education, you can see over one million posts or what's the what's the latest from that? Is that what you're asking you now? Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Um. 1.6 1.7 million. Let me see. That's what you can see. You can follow a hashtag? Or did I just follow someone? Yeah. Whoa. That's interesting. Because many of the uh, posts that I'm seeing are like the show in here. The show oh. Sex Education, which is an amazing show. But that's not... Yeah, but I, I think it totally forgot about the show. And most of them are just kind of like random, not <laughs> related. They're just like thirst trap picks. Oh my god, it's all the actors. I forgot about sex ed. That's yeah. why that question is there. Yeah, I figured that was potentially why there were so m- many posts to it, but I wasn't sure. I don't know if you want to keep this question or we want no. to alter it I think or whatever. That that's, feels do you know good a lot you. about the show? Yeah, so I think that's actually a great kind of conversation to have. Yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. do you want to ask it again? So, okay, as you know, there's the Netflix show Sex Education, um, and right as of now, it has about 1.7 million posts on Instagram. Do you think that this show might oversaturate the sex positive community? Maybe overshadow it, um, or do you think that like because there are pretty good depictions in the show. Is it perfect? It's very white, in my opinion. It's very, uh, it's pretty straight. Uh-huh. I know there's a few 
bisexual or queer people, but it's not like super diverse. Um, like I would com- compare something that's a little bit more diverse, like Euphoria is a little bit more engaging in that conversation. But how do you think that this show is going to affect kind of the censorship? And do you think they're going to get censor- censored as much as sex sex ed creators are? Yeah, this is a really interesting question just because, yeah, if you have an Instagram listener and you go to hashtag sex education and scroll through there, you know, as Felicia just said, 1.7, whatever million posts and a majority of them, if you scroll through are either like sex education, the show like depictions or just kind of like fun thirst trappy pictures that like have nothing to do with sex education other than someone having a body and showing that to people, which is great. Um, but I think the, the larger kind of conversation around the show is that ultimately I think that it is net positive. Like I think that with more people talking about something that's in pop culture, that's discussing these issues of body image and healthy versus unhealthy relationships and queer sex and various kinds of, um, you know, asexuality, so many different kinds of identities and experiences. And so agreed, like every show could always be more diverse and really um, make strides um, when it comes to racial diversity and relationship diversity, body image diversity, um, you know, having fat people as the center of the show rather than the side character. Um, and so what, I, what I'm going to say, though, that is not so, you know, great about sex education is that when you go to Instagram as a teen and you hashtag sex education, looking for, you know, anything, basically, because we know that schools, a majority of schools, depending on where you live, uh, are not doing a very good job at teaching. And uh, while many parents in the US based on numerous studies do support sex education on a larger scale. We don't know if they're having those conversations in their home or what that really looks like. So if I'm a teen and I go to Instagram and type in hashtag sex education and only the things that are popping up are stuff from the show, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to glean any important information or resources or access the education that I actually need and deserve in that moment. No, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I I do agree. Sometimes I like, I go in and out with like, everything can always be better and we can always do better. But I do think that like, I never had a TV show that talked about asexuality or, um. I think one of the like alpha jocks is gay. I haven't seen the show in a while. So some of my, my understandings are kind of all over the place, but yeah. And even for me in high school, and I'm sure for you, Instagram wasn't like a huge educational resource either. So like, I Mm -hmm. didn't like, I straight up just didn't get sex ed. I had one conversation with my parents my mom told me to ask my dad a question that I had about the penis. I never asked the question because I was just like, hell no. <laughs> and then that was it. So it's kind of, it's it's hard because you, you want to see these depictions in media because they do help and they do assist. But then when we're looking at platforms like Instagram that are a lot of educators kind of like sole income or main income or even like side incomes, um, it's mm-hmm. really hard to see it get kind of like overshadowed. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier with 
what your colleague said about kind of like the sexism within the censorship um, and like just the patriarchal stance on sex in itself. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like these understandings like still heavily persist in our society and how dangerous do you think they are like for the young people growing up? Cause it's obviously better now, but it's definitely not the best. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say like, again, I think this really depends on where you live. So like I'm American, so I can really only speak to American We're not uh, that much like better. research and kind of studies. And <laughs> yeah, that's so surprising because I feel like Canada does have this um, kind of depiction of, you know, being wholesome and more, uh, you know, better towards, you know, people when it comes to healthcare and really prioritizing people's needs. Um, But that makes sense. I think culturally, like Canada and America are very similar. So it makes sense why our sex education would not be great in either place. Um, But in terms of like, why uh, these sexual myths and kind of like, why sexuality, quote unquote, is deemed as like dangerous and, and scary. Um, I think it's because it's it's not normalized in in this country and, and in Canada to have real conversations about sex uh, with young people, which is why I am so passionate about sex ed, just because I see so much sex education content out there that's tied to like pleasure and sex toys. And that's amazing. Like, I never want any of that to go away. But the problem with that is like it's 18 plus. So it's like almost too late to like really have these com- not too, and that's never too late, but you know what I mean? Like it, ideally these conversations would happen from the beginning of a person's life, like at age five, you know, and of course they would have to be like age appropriate conversations when you're five sex education looks really different than when you're 15. But when you're five, you can start to have the conversations around boundaries and around um, being a good friend and what it's like to share and what it's like to say no if you're uncomfortable. Like there are many things that translate throughout your life that can start at a very early age. And I just don't think that that's really happening for people. And so what I do want to say also is um, Bloom Science are uh, folks that we interviewed this season on our podcast, and they are Uh, sex education organization for young people. And they have these awesome workbooks. And on their website, they talk about Peggy Orenstein and her books, Girls in Sex and Boys in Sex. And in those books, it teaches us that more than one in four kids um, will have seen hardcore pornography by the age of 11. And that number goes up to two in three kids by the age of 15. So what this shows to me is that we're really we'd rather let the internet teach our kids about unrealistic depictions of sex than just have the conversation ourselves. Um, So I think that like speaks volumes. And then the last thing I'll say on this is according to the Guttmacher Institute, um, which is an amazing research organization on uh, so many things, but primarily sexual and reproductive health in America, only 17 US states require program content to be medically accurate. So like, if we really understand what that means, that means that we're okay with the remaining 33 states teaching kids things that aren't even true. And so of course there's going to be stigma. Of course there's going to be shame. There's going to be a lot of sexual myths and a lot of confusion. 
And so I think when you kind of look at all of these pieces that come together, it is no wonder that people are so ashamed to have the conversation around sex and sexuality. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with kind of like this cycle of collective trauma. Like I think our parents were traumatized, their grandparents were traumatized, you know, and it goes on and on because it's just been, sex has been so tied to religion. Um, And I think that's a big thing Mm -hmm. too. But I also really liked what you said earlier where we were kind of alluding to like, we don't want sex ed to happen too late. And I think like, it's obviously never too late, but in my experience and we have with sex and self and with the podcast, we have a high school outreach program. So university students go to high schools and do little like uh, sex ed workshops, seminars. We talk about like healthy relationships and consent and queer history and like all that stuff. But what like I really wanted to convey when we were, you know, kind of figuring out how we wanted to execute that is we wanted to get students information before these experiences actually happen to them. So like so many times I hear young girls come to me and they're like, oh, I love what you're doing. I love what you're talking about when I lost my virginity. Like I didn't know X, Y, and Z. And it's like, if I could go back and like talk to like pre-sex Felicia, I would want to tell her everything because then she could she had the autonomy to make the decision for herself and she knew exactly what she was kind of like up for or the risks she were she was taking right like even as I was getting Mm -hmm. more experienced and I was having sex with different people I still was making mistakes like like just like silly mistakes too like not using protection because I was on birth control like uh what like but, no, but nobody told me. So it was like a trial and error. And like, I don't think you should trial and error right. with your body. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it was, again, like it wasn't your fault. Like no one is at fault for not getting the information, the education that should have been given to them through school, through your parents, like through, uh, you know, easily accessible books and articles. Like th- this is these are things that are just now like starting to become normalized for younger people um, because just so often it's just so clear um, that when we, again, back to porn, right? Like the only way that people are comfortable with sexuality is in secrecy and in, in private, like when we're kind of by ourselves masturbating or and or watching pornography, like those are kind of the main quote unquote, sex education moments that we have. And those that is not sex education, that is entertainment. And so we really need to learn the difference. No, absolutely. And as we're kind of in this, like, I guess limbo period is like the best way to explain it because the systemic change. (laughs) Hellhole. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do feel like sometimes I'm in this like really secluded section of the world where everything's sex positive. And then sometimes I leave and I'm like, oh my God, I want to go back. Like, um, but basically as we're in this limbo of like, you know, this like kind of sex positive world, but we're still not seeing like the systemic change within institutions. And like, like you said, in the US, there's only 17 states that make it mandatory. Uh Okay, medically accurate. So in Canada, we really don't even have that. Um, So I work in Quebec, and basically they have a few like 
competencies that students should like learn, but nothing's mandated and nothing is scientifically like approved. Um, so teachers kind of end up skimming over it and then like randomly do one lesson at the end of the year or whatever that may be. And teachers also don't get training. So I'm becoming a teacher um, or I'm in a program to become a teacher. I don't know if I'm going to become a teacher, but um, I don't get any training in sex ed, like zero zilch, nothing. They have some additional like courses that you can take, but it's like not even a course. It's like a two week workshop or something. And you just kind of do it and you leave. Um, but as we're in this limbo of like, accurate science-based sex education kind of coming out, but it's not systemically there for students and available. Why is it so important to kind of like look at this censorship on social media and kind of like push back against it or maybe just call it out? I, I'm not sure exactly what um, folks are doing in at, like as we're kind of speaking, if there's bills being passed or if people are kind of protesting um I'm not sure what you know being afraid to tell these stories and openly discuss what has happened to us in the past our experiences with sex education potentially trauma that has come up um I think like it's very clear that people are craving this knowledge um and they're not getting it and so our audience on <sighs> Reels and TikTok is really made up of young people um, without other options to learn this basic information about their bodies, their health, their relationships, consent, identity. Um, you know, so I just think that it's super important for us to recognize that even through this censorship, um, just by existing, <laughs> like us existing and like promoting folks who are doing this work is in, in and of itself a protest. And like, I also want to call out the fact that I am a cis woman. I am someone who identifies as like sexually fluid, but like mostly on the straight part of the scale. Um, I'm partnered with a cis man. I'm also a mixed race person, um, but I am white and I'm white presenting. So like I carry a lot of privilege in the sex ed space. And I want to call out that like, it's easier for me as like a white cis person to post these things. And if they get taken down, like have the time and have the, you know, access of like friends who work at Instagram or friends who, you know, are, are used to figuring out how to like cheat the system in a few ways. Whereas like folks who are by POC and folks who are, you know, trans, non-binary, queer folks, like they are definitely criticized and discriminated against much more on these platforms than someone like me. And so I think that like, it's important to uplift folks from marginalized communities within like the scope of work that I'm doing. Um, again, like as you're, as you're talking about this, like as a way to like say, fuck you to the system and like protest and ensure that like other people's voices, other educators are able to do their work, um, well and especially black folks right like black women specifically the sex education for black women in that community is pretty abysmal like like stereotypically or typically um like black women are not taught what they need to be taught about 
their bodies and they don't have access to the information um, that they should have access to. And there are, there are so many black creators and black sex educators that should be uplifted and should be recognized for doing their incredible work and they should not be censored on these apps. Absolutely. And so kind of looking towards the distant horizon, like what are the future steps um, or at least what do you think the future steps are for the sex ed community? Um, And like, how can people get access? I know you gave some resources earlier, but what are some other resources for safe sex and sex positive sex ed? Yeah. So in terms of the future steps, I mean, I really just hope that like this community continues to grow and continues to strengthen um, on social media and beyond. I think social media is an excellent tool and strategy to get really digestible information and education that is like visually appealing and can be really funny and silly and exciting and memorable to as many people as possible. And for me, like without TikTok, and I have to shout out my amazing social media intern from this summer, Leslie Lopez, who really like built the foundation for our TikTok. And I could not have done it without her and without my co-producer, Kathy. Um, But I just want to say like, we have 55,000 TikTok followers and what a huge opportunity that is to be able to educate as many people as we can. And so I think like, now that I have access to this community, I really, really don't want to let it go. And I want to make sure that like, yes, of course, the censorship is bullshit. But right now we have to work within the confines of that and change the word sex to segs, S-E-G-G-S or whatever the fuck, just so we can make sure that we like don't let them win, basically. And like eventually when there's enough clout and when there's enough um, reason for them to, to change their censorship, like then we will ensure that we don't have to censor ourselves in order to get these this really important information out there. But for now, I think we do have to kind of play the game and be smart in order to uh, ensure that this education um, gets to as many people as possible. And in terms of resources, so first of all, I do want to recommend that everyone go to our website, which is www.sexedwithdb.com slash voices. And if you go there, you can see we've had over 70 episodes over the course of the last three and a half years, over the past five seasons. And we have everyone who's ever been on our podcast on there with their picture, their names, the organizations they work for, and their bios and links to so many people. And in terms of the topics that we've covered, it's really run the gamut. I mean, body image, uh, living with HIV healthily, healthy versus unhealthy relationships, uh, BDSM, polyamory, um, you know, sex workers' experiences, queer health. Uh, you know, everything, birth control, everything under the sun that you have been interested in about sex education, really check out our website and really um, try to see if there are people who you're interested in following and, and following um, their content on social media. But one, one specific resource that I also really want to shout out because pretty much like every day we get messages on our Instagram from individual people being like, Hey, I am experiencing this. Is it normal? Like I like I'm having trouble understanding um, how to negotiate uh, condom use with my partner. What do I do? You know, there are so many like individual questions that 
Um, you definitely need those answers. And some of them are like medical and I am not a doctor. Um, so what I recommend is really downloading this free app. It's called OKSO, which is one word, O-K-A-Y-S-O. And it is an anonymous app for you to download and uh, get your questions answered anonymously um, by a group of health experts in a group chat format. So that way you can really feel like you can ask the question, your name is not associated with it, associated with it. And depending on the type of question, you will be matched with a, a group of relevant experts to get those questions answered. And so I really always just recommend that app, not only because it's free, but because when it's anonymous, there's a lot less pressure to feel like, oh, well, I don't want my email associated with it. I don't want my parents finding out. Like, I'm worried about the cost. And like, this app really takes the that pressure off. Um, and then one last, last thing that I'll say, just because um, I don't know how prevalent Planned Parenthood is in Canada, but in America, Planned Parenthood is, you know, for better or worse, there are definitely some structural issues within the Planned Parenthood organization. Um, but uh, everyone should be able to access a Planned Parenthood if they need it. And, you know, that's not the case for everybody. But I do think that if you are having trouble with something that you need to be seen by a care provider, whether that be a doctor or a mental health professional, really start at your local Planned Parenthood and like chat with them on their free chat system online. Try to figure out if you can get an appointment on a sliding scale, depending on your ability to pay for it. And I just think that you, if you're listening and you have uh, an issue with something that's going on with your body and or your mind, it's always better to call for help and to get that access um, before it becomes worse. And so I just want to empower folks who are listening to get the resources you need to live the happiest and healthiest life that you can. Absolutely. No, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And for Canadian listeners, because we don't have, uh, we have one okay. Planned Parenthood um, in Ontario. Do you have an equivalent? But, and it's, no. Uh, okay. Me, <laughs> no. Um, but essentially for folks, because I can only talk to specific provinces because it's different kind of throughout. But I know in Ontario, if you need access to a medical professional, you can actually get covered by insurance oh, wow. if you're under See, 25. That's the difference between so Canada if you need, and America. You guys actually yeah. have health care for people. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely one of our bonuses. Um, so you can get access to like birth control and stuff like that um, without your parents kind of knowing. Um so you can kind of do that at the pharmacy. I'm not sure how it is in Quebec, um, which is where I am. But if you do go to a post-secondary institution, you'll most likely get coverage there as well. So there's ways to loop around it. You just have to see whatever resource is most available to you. Um, but I, I completely agree. And I say this all the time. And I said this to one of my guy friends the other day. We were talking about like STDs and like STIs and I was like, if you have a throat infection, are you not going to like go to the doctor? Get some antibiotics. And he was like, whoa, that's like really interesting. And I'm like, well, if you break your arm, are you going to leave it? Like, yeah, it's what? exactly the same. It's just another part of taking care of your health. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I really, I really appreciated this conversation that we had today. And I think that 
the social media censorship in regards to sex ed is such a microcosm to the bigger issue, but I think it's really, really important to point out, especially since this is a really great tool for sex educators and especially for young people because social media is free. Um, right. But I did, I do want to thank you for coming on the podcast and taking the time. I want you to like plug all of your things all over again. So everyone can find you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Felicia, for having me. And so, yeah, check us out. Uh, our website is www.sexedwithdb.com. You can find us on Twitter and TikTok at sexedwithdb. On Facebook, we are at edwithdb. They don't like sex in the word. So at edwithdb. <laughs> on Instagram, we are at sexedwithdbpodcast. Um, so thank you so much again for having me on. Um, I, I really just want to emphasize um, to the folks who are listening whenever you feel like alone in your sexual and reproductive health journey, really know that you are not alone. There are so many really, really amazing resources out there to get you the care uh, and the support and the love that you need. Absolutely. And I encourage everyone to, if it's safe to do so, open the conversation up to your friends because everybody is having the same weird feelings, especially people in your own age bracket too. Um, Totally. So I think that that's really great. And I hope everyone feels more empowered and more excited to get access to comprehensive sex ed resources. Um, but if you want to listen to more episodes like this, make sure to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. We have podcasts coming out every Monday. Thank you again, Danielle, for coming on. Thank you and for having me. Thank you all for listening.